I extend Christian greetings to all of you this evening, and thank you, Brother Todd, for that kind introduction, those encouraging words. Um, I greet you in the blessed name of Jesus, the one that is in heaven tonight, and he's waiting for the Father, God, to turn him loose to come down and receive the church, his bride. And I trust that's what you are anticipating. It's good to be here this evening in Hayward, Wisconsin. Um, There are a lot of things running through my mind as I sit here and and look over the congregation. Well, first of all, I'd like to say this. Uh, When you're a preacher, you notice some things about other churches when you go somewhere else other than your own church. And I noticed that you filled up the front part of the church first. That's good, and I commend you for that. And the house is well filled tonight. And um, I just commend you for having revival meetings. You know, that's not the most popular thing in our world today have a week of revival meetings, but you are having revival meetings and you're here and I commend you for that. I believe that that we need to be revived, as Brother Todd was saying. We all need that, every one of us here tonight. And the Lord would want to have revival here this week. As I sat here this evening observing some people coming in, I see Maranatha Bible School students, um, recent and past. Um, Yes, I recognize some of you, and hopefully I'll remember your name when we meet. Um, It's good to see that connection. And I see a lot of old friends. Now, by that, I don't mean that you're old, but I mean that we've been friends for quite a while, all right? But uh, I see friends, people we know and have learned to appreciate, and we are so happy to be here with you tonight. And I see faces that I do not know, And I trust that as the week goes on, we can become well acquainted. I don't want to waste much time on the introduction tonight because I've got a message that the Lord has laid upon my heart. But I will say this just for a a note of interest to some of you. You might find this interesting, especially you older ones here. Back when I was a young lad, I'm going to say maybe... Well, let's just say 50 years ago. That would make me seven years old, 50 years ago. Back when I was about that age, my dad came to Hayward, Wisconsin, and he knew Cecil Yoder. Did I get the name right? And he came up here with intentions to buy a farm. And he found a farm, and he was going to buy it, and the loan process did not go through. So I am one loan process away from having grown up here. <laughs> and maybe our, over the years I've become acquainted with a lot of you and especially the ministry team. I appreciate them all. Um, back when we were newly ordained, we had revival meetings in our church and it was it became our turn to host a visiting evangelist for the first time as a newly ordained man. And it was Dan and Ruthie Schrock, right? They came as our first experience of keeping a preacher in our house. I mean, it was quite a deal. And they came and they had this cute little boy by the name of Tom with them. Yeah, he was cute back then, huh? (laughs) And we had a good time. And uh, so that connection's been there for a long time. It's a... Joy to be here this evening. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we come to you tonight and 
we know that you want to speak to us. And I sense the responsibility tonight of handling your word and standing as a vessel between you and your people here tonight. Lord, I ask for anointing of your spirit. I ask you to give me clear thoughts tonight, Lord, and and I just pray that, that your presence would permeate this service here tonight, this building. I pray that the forces of evil would be driven outside and kept outside the four walls of this building. And Lord, tonight that your spirit could have free reign. And we ask you, God, to speak to us tonight. Revive my heart. Revive all of our hearts, Lord, to a place where we can walk closer with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I brought something with me tonight. I brought two cans of Coke. Now, how many of you have ever seen a preacher get up here behind this pulpit and guzzle down a can of Coke? Anybody seen that happen here? Well, you're not going to see it happen tonight either. But how many of you could enjoy an ice-cold Coke at the right time, right place, like with pizza or popcorn or a hot summer day. How many of you can enjoy a nice ice-cold can of Coke at a certain time? Yeah, a lot of you could. A few of you don't appreciate it, I see. But a lot of you could. Well, there are times when most of us, maybe, an ice-cold Coke, it just hits the spot. That rich, brown, tingly, fizzy taste that you swallow it and goes all the way down to its final resting place and then almost comes back up through your nose. You know what I'm saying? Just that fizz of that ice-cold Coke. So, if it was the right time, the right place, which of these two would you choose? The real Coke. This one here says, original taste. This is the real thing, Dan. Right here. The real thing. Original flavor, original taste, Coca-Cola. Now this one is also Coca-Cola. But it says, whoops, I had it upside down. It says, since 1991. All right, so it's not the original. But it is Coca-Cola. Nonetheless, this is Sam's Cola. And so this one here is the real thing. Now, Sam's Cola is also also Coke. It's also cola. And it's got a lot of the same flavor. It's got a lot of that same fizzle and fizz. All right? You can buy it in the same store. You can pick it up on the same shelf if you like. It's in the same type of tin can, same type of container. But it is not the real thing. It's Sam's Cola. I invite you tonight to take your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 23. I'd like to use Matthew 23 tonight as a text 
chapter. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to pick some verses out of here because I don't want to take time to read the entire chapter. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, that they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And love the uppermost room at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Okay, let's skip over to verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Let's go over to verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Verse 33. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? And verse 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. The title of the message tonight is this. Real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. Real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. Now that title, or this title, is not original with me. I saw this title on a Christian Aid Ministries billboard. I was traveling through Holmes County, Ohio, and I saw this billboard there in Holmes County, Ohio. It was a can billboard, and it jumped out at me. It said, Real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. And I'm thinking, wow, here I am in Holmes County, Ohio, that is loaded with Amish and Beachy and Mennonite people, full of them, full of Christian people. And they put, why in the world would they choose this sign in Holmes County, Ohio? The real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. You know, not only did that Billboard catch my eye. That billboard has impacted my life, dear people. I will tell you tonight. 
It has impacted my life. It has challenged me. It has moved me. I want to be a real Christian. I really do. And probably everybody sitting here tonight would say the thing, you too want to be a real Christian. The message tonight is very simple because that's how I preach. I got two basic questions. The one is, what is a real Christian? And the second one is, am I one? Am I one? Am I a real Christian? As we come back to this text here in Matthew 23, and as I open my Bible to Matthew chapter 23, I got large print, and so it pretty much covers two whole pages. And on top of both pages in my Bible, it says, Woe to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to the religious leaders. Woe to them. That word woe there means, according to Strong's, it means, uh, alas, grief is coming your way. You know, listen up. There's, there's something coming your way. You see, these, these people, and I read there verses 1 through 7. But in verse 3, well, in verse 1, it says Jesus spoke to the multitude and he's telling them about the scribes and Pharisees. And he tells them in verse 3, he says, listen. He said, these religious people can say the right things. Oh man, can they preach? They can get behind that pulpit and they can let her fly and they know Scripture and they can preach and they can say all this stuff. They can quote Scripture. They know the Bible inside and out. They can lead singing. They can sacrifice hours to study. But he said, don't follow their example. He said, yeah, what they're saying is good. Listen to what they say, but don't follow their example. Don't live like they do. How would you like if you're preachers we get up here on Sunday morning and they'd tell you what to do and then they go home and live a different way. You wouldn't like that at all. And Jesus is saying, that's what these men in authority, they sit in Moses' seat, they're men of authority, they're spiritual leaders, and they can really say it. They get it all down pat, but don't live like they live. What they're saying is right, but don't live like they live. There's something not right about them. You see, it was all for show. It was all on the outside. It was all to look good. It was all for position and power. Oh, the Bible says there in verse 7, they love to be called rabbi. They love to walk down the street and people acknowledge they are rabbi, rabbi. See, it was all for... You know, I, Dan spent a lot of time in Haiti, a lot more than I did, and I've been to Haiti a few times. And when you're there, you get called pastor, Pastor Dan, Pastor Delmer. You know what? That feels kind of good. I'll confess that tonight. Feels kind of good. You see, that, that, that works on our ego. And these men love to be called rabbi. Oh, they're the spiritual leaders of the land. Well, <clears throat> Jesus comes along. Oh, man. Jesus let these guys have it. I mean, he really let them have it. And I read these verses to you, and I'm not going to reread them again, but in those verses, 13 through 15, three verses in a row, he calls them, he says, Whoa, scribes and Pharisees! And then he didn't stop there, he said, Hypocrites! He said, They're hypocrites! They're just for show! <coughs> hypocrites, he calls them. Three times, these are the religious church leaders, and he's calling them hypocrites. See, they're not the real thing. 
Huh? They're not the real thing. They're pretenders. Oh, Jesus really like I mean he went he said he said, you know what, they even shut up the gates of heaven. He said they're not going there themselves and they're they're so out of place that they're even making so other people don't get there. He said they're not the real thing. Hypocrites. Another definition or one definition would be one who pretends to be pious and virtuous without really being so. Strong's would say it's it's an actor under an assumed character. Okay, so someone that can act like they're really the real thing, like I'm a real Christian, but inside I'm not. Not the real thing inside. People that want to appear like they're following Jesus, but inside they're not. Pretenders, professing Christians, actors, fakes. And see, Jesus, he just came right out and said, in verses 23 through 28, we read them. He said, hypocrites, and I'm paraphrasing, hypocrites are not real Christians. We're talking tonight about being a real Christian. And he said, hypocrites, they may have the label, it may say cola, but they're not the real thing. They're not real Christians. That's what he's saying in verses 23 through 28. Why are they not real Christians? Again, on the outside, it's a picture of Christianity. It looked like it. They were paying their tithe, even on the tiniest things in their garden, they would pay their tithe. They were clean on the outside. They looked like white at sepulchers. They were beautiful. And they had all the right clothes on. They could say all the right words. Outwardly, the Bible says here, they appear righteous unto man. You looked at them, oh yeah, rabbi. Oh, so why were they not real Christians? Because Jesus said on the inside, they're full of hypocrisy. They're just hypocrite from the inside out and iniquity, sin. They're full of sin and hypocrisy. That's what he says. They weren't real. He goes on, he says, they're empty of faith, faithlessness, he, he said. They, they're faithless. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe that what God had said about himself and what God had said about man. They didn't believe that. The Bible says, or Jesus said here, they were full of extortion and excess. That means they were full of self-gratification. They were full of self-indulgence, selfie. No, did I say that? Selfies? Full of themselves. Full of dead man's bones. That's what he said. Foulness, corruption, stinky. And you know, we got people somehow that get in our churches today, or maybe they evolved to this that, you know, they're just, uh, they're no spiritual fire. No spiritual fire. But oh, there's a rattle and a bang, there's some commotion. I'll tell you something that's not the Holy Spirit. It's dead man's bones. Hypocrites, not real Christians. Then Jesus, he just, he gives very direct words to these hypocrites. Verse 33, and we read it, he said, you're serpents, snakes, 
Snakes. You know what he said? He said, he said to the hypocrites, he said, there's no way that you are going to enter into heaven. That's what he said to the hypocrites. He said, no way that you're going to escape the damnation of hell. And then in verse 38, the last verse we read, he said, your house, your life is what he's saying. Your life. You, you scribes and Pharisees that are hypocrites, you're not real inside. He said, your house is desolate. It is empty of God. Abandoned by Almighty God. You know, if you're here tonight and you're a hypocrite, you are in big, big trouble. Big trouble. Because your problem is you can't hide it. You know, God can snuff, sniff out a hypocrite just like that. Two seconds flat. Before you can think what to answer, God sniffs it right out. Before you open your mouth or defend yourself, God knows exactly what you are. And Job, I'm not going to take time tonight to turn to the book of Job. Job made some, the book of Job, there's some outstanding comments about hypocrites. And he ends by saying the end of a hypocrite is an eternity outside of God. And that's what Jesus was saying here. So what I just read to you out of Matthew chapter 23, that, that was then. And that was them. So what does that got to do with us today? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus just came down on the hypocrites. He nailed it. Well, what does that got to do with us today? Matthew chapter 5. Just one verse. Verse 20. For I say unto you, now, Jesus is talking to a multitude of people. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking to a multitude of people. He's talking to us tonight. And he's saying, Delmer, I say unto you, that unless your righteousness and your spirituality is more than what the scribes and Pharisees are, you're not getting into heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying to you folks tonight. Unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so God's view of hypocrites is the same today in 2017, as it was 2,000 years ago. What God called hypocrisy 2,000 years ago is still hypocrisy today. The judgment that God called out upon the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees is the same judgment that God will pour out upon hypocrisy when we meet him someday, if we're a hypocrite. And so if you're a hypocrite tonight, if you're not the real thing, (coughs) 
you better hope that Jesus doesn't return right now. You better hope that you don't have an accident on the way home tonight before you can get on your knees before Almighty God. Because the Bible says that the end of a hypocrite is a separation from God. Now, I'd like for you to go with me to another passage here in Matthew chapter 25. Here we have a familiar parable. I'd like to read the first 13 verses, Matthew 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward also the other virgins, afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. We have here the parable of the ten virgins. And Jesus used stories. He was the best storyteller ever. And he used stories so that people could understand the lesson and they get the point. Tonight I don't necessarily have stories, but i got two tin cans here that help us to understand the point of being real or being a hypocrite. Because we want to remember tonight that real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. Anyhow, we come to this parable, and it starts out by saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto... And so it's a lesson on... On the second coming, it's a lesson on on the rapture. It's a lesson on the judgment. It's a lesson on eternity after after the trumpet sounds. It's a lesson on that. And Jesus is making this point. And as you read this parable, there are many lessons that you could take from it. And one of the probably the most obvious one is is the last verse, verse thirteen. He says, "Watch therefore, because you don't know when he's coming." That's a very important lesson. We know that Jesus is coming back. Someday God's, the Father is going to turn to His Son. He's going to say, Go bring the church home. And when that trumpet sounds, the whole world is going to hear. And the Bible says that the, maybe the biggest point of this parable is that we're to be watching and we're to be ready. Because after He is here, there's no more getting ready. It's those that are ready that are going to go. And so we all understand that. Another lesson from this parable, and this is the one I want to make, point I want to make tonight. There were ten virgins. The Bible says that the five were wise and five were foolish. The five wise virgins represent the true church, real Christians. 
The Bible says five were real. They had the oil. They were sufficiently prepared. They were the real thing. And five were foolish. They represent the professing only Christian. They represent the pretenders. They were the lookalikes. You know, I would guess that those five foolish virgins were probably dressed very much like the five wise ones, don't you think? They were probably all dressed the same. Maybe you could say they were the soundalikes. You know, they could they could probably sing the same songs that the five real ones did. They could probably quote the same scriptures. They probably knew the same thing. They were professing, but they were not possessing, and they were not the real thing. And I want to tell you tonight that there is an eternal world of difference between the real thing and a hypocrite. There is an eternal world of difference between the real Christian and the pretenders. They may both say Coke on the outside. Both profess that they are following Jesus. They may dress alike. They may talk alike. You know, they may even sit on the same church pew. Right beside each other. They may go to most of the same places. They may do a lot of the same things. They all hold the same wedding invitation in their hand. But there's a world of difference on the inside between a real Christian and a hypocrite. Real Christians are real. Inside out. And when the trumpet sounds, they are going to rise to meet Jesus in the air. Real Christians. They are going to be inside the door, as this parable is where Jesus gave the story about the bridegroom coming, the real ones that had the oil, they were inside. That's the real Christian. The professing only Christian is not real. The pretenders are going to be outside the door after it is shut. And that's the way this story was. They came and they were banging on the door and they said, Lord, 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 let us in. But they were too late. And they heard those terrible words that Jesus said, I I don't know you. I don't know you. And you know, this parable, I have thought more about this recently. This parable is addressed. It's not addressed to those that have made no preparation at all. This parable is addressed to those that had not sufficiently prepared themselves. They had made some preparation. There had been some attempt. There was, it looked like they were prepared, but they were not sufficiently prepared. The big question tonight is, am I a real Christian? 
And you know, you, every one of you tonight has to answer that question in your heart. Am I a real Christian? It's a really simple question. But as we sit here tonight and we ponder that question, am I a real Christian? And I am not here tonight to cause anyone to doubt their salvation at all. Please, please, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about hypocrisy tonight. Those that pretend they are and they aren't. You know, in this world that we live in, there are many, many pretenders all over the world. People that pretend. Many, many people that profess. You go up and down the streets of any city you want and you knock on doors. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Many people would say they are. Many professing Christians today. But there's a lot of hypocrites. And you know, sadly, hypocrites have somehow, they, they, they end up in church. Well, that's where hypocrites are. They're in the church. And they can look so good on the outside. But inside, they are not real Christians. And my friends, tonight, that is really, really sad. God would have everyone. You know, if we're going to profess to be a Christian, let's be a real Christian. We all know hypocrites. Uh, And, you know, names probably come to our mind. But let's ask ourselves tonight, am I a real Christian? As we notice these ten virgins, five were real and five were pretenders. And so, as I pondered about that, I had asked the question, so why did the five hypocrites keep company with the five real ones? Why did they keep company together? Why did the hypocrites want to be with the real ones? Well, I believe that one reason why hypocrites come to church is to ease their conscience by hanging out with God's people. Think about that. I believe that one reason hypocrites come to church is because they want to ease their conscience and they want to hang out with God's people. And I only use that term because I actually don't use it a lot, but I know what you know what it means. Instead of being sold out with God's people, they hang out with them. Because it eases their conscience. And I'll say this, it's good. To hang out with God's people, but it's far better to be God's people. You see, the problem is you can hang out with God's people and still end up in hell. This past summer, we were down in northern Indiana, an international Bible fellowship meeting. Some of you have been there. You know what it's like. I had a Saturday evening message where I was on the slate to have an evangelistic message that Saturday night. And after the service, I was up on the platform a while, and then I went down on the floor, and there was a group of young men standing, young men standing there visiting. And I walked up to them, and I knew several of them. I knew maybe half of them. Half of them I didn't know. And so I visited with them for a while. And... After a bit, I walked away and was going to walk to the back of the tabernacle or whatever it's called. And I walked away, and one of those young men, he followed me about 15 feet, and he called my name or said something got my attention. So I stopped. He he walked away from that group of men and followed me, and I stopped, and I could tell he wanted to talk to me. And so we just made small talk. I kind of knew who he was. He was, I kind of knew where he came from. He was a clean-cut, good-looking young Mennonite man. And we were having a conversation there. And 
all at once I said something that I would not normally say, and I know it was the Spirit of God prompting me. I just said, so, are you a Christian? And he looked at me and he said, no, I'm not. And I said, so, would you like to be one? And he said, yes, I would. He said, I just didn't have enough courage to respond tonight. Please don't get me wrong. I don't say that to bring any glory to myself. That is not normally me. But God prompted it. And you know, we went to a prayer room. That young man became a real Christian that night. He got down on his knees. He confessed his sins. And and Lord Jesus came in and washed his heart clean as snow. And he left that room that night a real Christian. Give God the glory. But the point of one, a couple points we can make from that is I believe, friends, that we should be more bold. And we should allow the Spirit of God to direct our words. There are people amongst us that are hypocrites. He looked awfully good. I had no reason to, to even ask him that question. I don't know why I asked him. I know why, because God prompted me. But there was no outside evidence I should ask him. He looked really good. I expected a completely different answer. I thought he would say, yes, I'm born again. I'm a Christian man in the church. But that's not what he was. And so we should maybe be more bold. But the other point I want to make is that, you know, there are those that are in our churches. They may look really good, but they're not born again. They're not saved. They may be hypocrites. Well, the five foolish were hanging out the right place. But they ended up outside the shut door. And you know... You go back in the Old Testament, a lot of people hung out at the ark. Noah was building that boat. You know, it seemed that that was a good place to hang out. It was a good environment. There was good preaching there. There was good entertainment. There was there was a, a working crew there where the language was good. It was probably a clean, safe family place. And they hung out there with God's people. But when the door was shut, they were outside. Well, what is a real Christian? Young people have asked me that question. You know, what's the real deal? What, Delmer, what is the real deal? What's a real Christian? We've got all these denominations, and we've got all these stripes of Mennonites, and we've got all these thoughts, and all these ideas, and all these different ways, and, and you know, they're, everybody's waiting for the period of Christ. What is a real Christian? Well, that's a valid question. So what's the real deal? It's a fair question. It's an important question. A question needs to be answered. And tonight, I want a few minutes. By the simplicity of God's Word, I want to answer that question. Matthew chapter 22. You're right there, almost there. Matthew chapter 22. So what is a real Christian? Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. (coughs) And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. Here is one of Jesus' teachings. It's a command of Jesus to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And all, that little word all, I quote quote Brother Richard, he said, all means all and that's all that all means. Love God with all your heart, 
the first and greatest num- number one teaching of Jesus in all the Bible. If we're a real Christian, it starts right here. So, how do we know that we love God with all? See, this just brings more questions. How do we know if we love God with all? You know, it's easy to say that. We can, every one of us tonight can get up and say, I love God with all my heart. Do we really? How do we know? Well, the way we know is John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14. How do we know if we love God with all our heart? John 14, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Very simple verse. I can understand that. Fifth grader here tonight can understand that. If we love Jesus, we keep his commandments. That was Jesus said. So what's it take to, to be a real Christian? To love God with all your heart? How do we know we love God? We keep His commandments. That doesn't mean we just read them. That doesn't mean we just memorize them. That just that doesn't mean that uh, we think it's a good idea. It means that we do them. We keep them. We keep Jesus' commandments. So the proof of being a real Christian is obeying all of Jesus' commandments. And you might sit here at night and say, well, I don't know if what all Jesus' commandments are. Well, you just obey the ones you know. You obey the ones you know. And as you mature... You'll get to do understand more of them, but you obey the ones you know. Um, first John, we're not going to turn to it, but First John chapter five, it says this, and I'll just paraphrase it, put in my words: the proof of our love for God is if we keep His commandments. See, the proof of our love to God is if we keep His commandments, and it goes on to say in the scripture, and it is not grievous to us. You see, if we're a real Christian, it is not grievous; it is not a burden for us to obey Jesus. It should be the very number one thing we want to do if we're a real Christian is obey everything that Jesus said. It's not grievous. You know, real Christians, they don't, they don't have this idea that they try to find ways to wiggle out of doing what Jesus said we should do. They don't try to just get around things. You know, if mom and dad aren't looking or the preacher's not looking. I just heard this story about this man the other day, <clears throat> he was smoking a cigarette, smoking away. And the preacher walks up and he stuck this thing underneath the hood of his jacket. And he's yakking away the preacher and pretty soon the smoke comes curling out of his. Real Christian, huh? Real Christians obey the things that Jesus teaches. They're not grievous. We don't try to get out of it. We don't try to justify ourselves and say, well, you got to understand, you know, my mom and dad did this and my, and my employer did this and all this stuff. No, we just obey. So what's the real Christian? Turn me yet to Romans chapter 12, just two verses here. Verse 1 and 2, you know them by heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is talking about real Christians here. It says that, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. You see, that means that we, we talk right. We live right. We smell right. We tithe right. We play right. 
We do right. We love what Jesus loves and we hate what Jesus, lo- what Jesus hates. And we do it all the time. 24-7. We live right even in the dark. We live right even when we're all alone. 24 hours a day. That's a real Christian. The whole way through the day, even in the dark. And we do it because we are real. And that's what verse 2 is talking about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are real Christians when we have a mind that is transformed. It is a renewed mind. It is, it, we, we, we take up the mind of Christ. We think like Jesus thinks. And don't take me wrong here tonight. I'm not talking about a, I'm not talking about a Christian that says, well, as long as everything is right on the inside, it makes no difference what looks, what it looks like on the outside. That's not what I'm saying tonight. And I, I hope you don't take me that way. You see, my friend, when we're right on the inside, when the real thing is on the inside, it's going to be right on the outside. The outside is important. But we're talking about the possibility of hypocrisy in our lives. A real Christian is not a hypocrite because they've got a mind that is transformed, a renewed mind. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And so we think right. We think like Jesus. We're following Jesus. It's all Jesus and no world. My friends, tonight it's all or nothing. And I know. I, I believe. I believe in progressive sanctification. I believe in spiritual growth. Do you understand me tonight? Absolutely I do. But tonight I want to tell you what. We're either in or out. We're either real or we're a hypocrite. One or the other. The challenge that I want you to take home tonight. Be committed to live like a real Christian every day. That's the challenge I want you to take home tonight. Be committed to live like a real Christian every day. Be committed to think like a real Christian every day. You know, when you are tempted to think wrong, remember... That you are committed to be real. When you are tempted to have the wrong attitude, remember that you want to be a real Christian. When you are tempted to gospel or to gossip or so discord, remember you're a real Christian. When you're tempted to do wrong, remember your commitment to be a real Christian. Real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. Tonight, are you the real thing? Or are you a hypocrite hanging out with God's people? Are you sufficiently prepared for the bridegroom? Shall we pray? Father.